Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Episode 15, we're back, Kyle. How do you feel about being at episode 15? This is kind of a milestone, right? Yeah, I think uh, 15, 20. I mean, at this point, we're still rolling. So they're all kind of milestones each week. And we could, with as crazy as our schedules are, with everything that we've got going on. And, and now that, you know, I've been in season and transitioning into a new season, and here you are getting into season. And um, I think anytime we can find, you know, 45 minutes to an hour or so to sit down and talk about these things, it's, it's worth celebrating because um, that's sort of a, a feat and of itself just to find the time to get to do this. But um, yeah, 15, it, it, it feels like, you know, not too long ago we were doing number one and at 10 and here we are at 15. And I think that, um, you know, based on, on, on the, the momentum and the, I guess you could call it some success that we've had so far, pretty good start and, and cheers to the next 15. Cheers indeed to the next 15. I mean, what are we at? Like 26 countries, uh, 30 some odd states. I mean, it's just like really cool that there's a platform that can reach people where they want to be reached and at their convenience. Um, I think one of the cool things that came out of the pandemic was like, obviously everybody jumping on zoom calls and like clinics and things that you kind of had to be present for. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is really like kind of on your own schedule. And so we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule uh, to listen to two random guys talk about things that they care about. Um, and maybe you care about those same things too, which is why you listen. And so we're just eternally grateful that we've had the opportunity to even get to 15 and, and hopefully we can 15 and 30 and 45 more um, all the way, you know, to infinity and beyond. So we'll, uh, we'll sort of jump right in with this week's topic. And so we're going back to revisit some of those uh, vision roadblocks that we talked about a few weeks ago. And we told you we'd be, we'd be bringing you individual episodes on each of those vision roadblocks and sort of how they all, you know, mingle together, but also how they're very separate from each other. And they all stem from the lack of making that next connection. Uh, so that's why we're jumping at, not ahead, but in the order that we presented them to you, it's actually the second to last one. And that's engaged investment. And so as you can see from the title, vision roadblock number two is engaged investment. And so sort of going into like what that actually means, what it can look like, and how we can get the stakeholders and allies in our programs and in our communities to be invested and to be engaged in what we have going on um, and to really, really get everybody on the same page. And so that'll then lead us into uh, alignment of the vision as well. Um, but Kyle, I don't, you know, I kind of want to start with a question to you and maybe to the coaches that are listening too. When you hear the word investment, what does that actually mean in terms of a sport program or in terms of a classroom or a school or any really like even a business where there are people involved? Um, so when we talk about like investment versus ownership and things like that, like where does that lead you uh, down the path of maybe even defining that for our listeners? I think the first thing that, that pops in your mind is money, right? Like you're invested in it, you're donating, um, you're buying the, 
the burger or the jambalaya plates to the annual fundraising function. You know, you, you show up with your dollars, you show up with your, your attendance at games, you know, you, you $2 Powerade popcorn, you're sort of, you know, throwing that back in there and, and money is definitely a big part of a lot of this. And it's, it's hard to do things without money. Um, and that's a little bit of a, a foreshadow for our resources conversation that we'll have at some point. Um, but obviously investment is, is, you know, there's, there's a big part of that with your, your, your money. Um, but then I, I also think that where my head goes next is your, just your time showing up. Um, you know, we're going to have a work day at the gym before the season starts parents and siblings and, you know, teachers around campus up and we're, you know, sort of scrubbing the bleachers and doing a once over on the washing machine and the dryer and painting the locker room and putting up new signs and, you know, kind of sprucing up the, the lockers themselves or new name tags or we're inventorying our, our equipment, you know, airing up the balls, all that kind of stuff, which uh, where my mind goes is as a, you know, a, a small 1A private high school head coach where a lot of times you're having to do all those things by yourself. And so having a really great parent group or a really great fan base or a community that is invested in you, they're showing up with their time as well. And, and, and not everybody can show up with dollar amounts. Um, not, every, not every parent can, can write a check for $5,000 for two sets of uniforms. Um, but a lot of them can find time to show up to you know, clean the campus, clean the gym, do all those kinds of things. And a lot of times those are, are more valuable um, because you know, if, if, if we're having a fundraiser and I see this more and more, and, and I'm not going to say I'm not guilty at this some too, but you know, when Kindle has fundraising stuff, a lot of parents out there would just rather write the check instead of doing the fundraiser. So how much would I, how much money would we raise if I sold all these items or these cards or whatever? Well, each kid would make 250 bucks. Okay. Well, I'm just going to write you a $250 check and just be done with it. Cause I don't want to be hassled with you know, having to actually go door to door or sell these things. But there's, there's more value, I think, in that time investment, because now we're getting some of those connections. Now we're creating that FaceTime. And when you show up to the gym with your time and your, your presence, we're getting to have a conversation. We're getting to talk about, you know, how far your sons come from their freshman year to their senior year. And we're reminiscing about stories that, you know, from the game that happened three years ago, or, you know, that team dinner that we had at your house, you know, last summer, or, or we're, we're, we're planning the next team dinner at your house. We're planning the next bus trip or the, you know, Hey, when we made the playoffs and we took them to this restaurant, that was a really great time. Let's go ahead and start thinking about what we're going to do to celebrate our kids this year. You don't get that if it's just a check dropped off in your, in your box at school. Um, so yeah, the, the money is important and we, we gladly will take those things. Uh, because we need them. But I think when people show up time and time again with their with their time, with their presence, physically being in the room, helping you with things, um, and then just being there to support, you know, support um, at home, on the road, um, all, all of that stuff. And then we can expand it. Uh, my, again, my mind kind of initially goes to our, our parents in our program, because those are the closest supporters and most intimate supporters we're going to have. Um, but your cheerleader showing up, you know, on a road game, uh, especially on a, maybe a holiday that we're not normally there. Um, you know, the, if you've got a, a pet band that shows up for your, your games, um, you know, dance line on Friday nights at football games, you just think about all the stakeholders that there are, your AD traveling to a game, you know, two hours away to be there to support you. And, and that maybe not just from a, 
I have to and CYAs because I have to be an administrator, but you've got an AD that truly supports your kids and is invested um, in that. And, you know, today we, we sent our soccer team off to their conference championship. And, and one of the really cool things that we do at, at where I'm at is anytime a team is sent off to a, a championship or a postseason uh, event, everybody from all the departments comes and, you know, we hang out, take a picture, talk to them a little bit, and we see them off on the bus. And it was really amazing to see softball, basketball, compliance, um, you know, football. I mean, the AD, like everybody is there to see these ladies, you know, head off to their their conference championship. And that is a a really, really cool moment. And I think a, a very nice um, snapshot into investment, not just into one program, but our our athletic department as a whole. Yeah. And I think you summed it up beautifully. Right. And I think that the, the one thing that comes to my mind when you're saying all of that is the word equity and not just equity in the experience, but equity in the investment that you've made into a particular department or a particular team, like you feel like you're a part of it. And I think a lot of times we depend on sort of making the players feel like they're a part of it, which obviously they are. We wouldn't do this without the players, right? That's impossible. But I think there's so many more people that make the experience what it is. And if those people don't feel like they have an equitable piece of the pie, it doesn't mean they have decision-making equity. Right? I think that's a big sort of point to make early in this podcast is that it doesn't mean that your parents have to have decision-making equity. They just have to have a stake in what's going on beyond just being the parent of a kid that is on the team. And so I remember, you know, to, to what you were talking about, like that day of having all the people, you know, the parents come or, you know, community members come and help out and all that, like having parent retreats where we treated them like a player for a day and they got to experience what their players experience. Obviously, like we didn't throw them out there on the practice court without a physical and all that stuff. We didn't do any of that. But it was, hey, come and watch practice and see exactly what we're doing in practice. Come meet with our leadership coach and see exactly what they're going to be hearing in their leadership and character development sessions. Come sit in a film session and understand how we break down film, what 100-point games are. Start speaking the language and then setting standards as the parents, as that stakeholder to say like, hey, yes, I do have equity in this program. I am going to have an experience just like my child is. And how can I best support my child, but also feel like my time, as you talked about, is valued here. And it was amazing to see like how many parents were so willing to come and do that. And it didn't really matter sort of like where we were or whether the team was good or not. It was like, we want to be a part of this. And you sort of make it their idea. And all of a sudden that equity stake goes up. Even if it's less than 1% of the actual program, they feel like they own half of it. And that their experience is going to be worthwhile. And I remember receiving some comments, you know, after, after our retreats and like mid-season when things may not have been going well, or we were like 10 and one at one point in mid-season and like parents were like, man, that retreat really like, sticks with me about how hard this is to get these girls to play this way. And, you know, I remember that practice. It was like the second practice of the year 
And you guys were already like looking really, really good. And I was like, man, the second practice of the year, we were awful. Right. But that, that parent group or those people were so in tune with what we were trying to do. They didn't need to coach from the stands anymore because they knew we had it. And so when we think about then that being a roadblock, imagine the other side of that. And I think I might be giving some, um, some of the listeners a little bit maybe of like PTSD of dealing with the other side of that, where there isn't that engaged investment and people don't feel like they have that equity. And, and Kyle, you and I have both had to deal with this in, in the various spots we've been in where those stakeholders didn't feel like they had a voice. So they had to make their voice known and they had more equity and they had more of that engaged investment with particular constituencies on, on those campuses than they did in our team and maybe how differently that could have gone for us. But I mean, I think if you know, the two of us, we both have gone through being let go from a job. We both have gone through dealing with this vision roadblock in particular, where the engaged investment wasn't there from a particular group of people and how, how harmful that is to the overall vision for the program that you're trying to build. Yeah. When you say the, where my mind was going, when you talk about investment, what do people want out of an investment? They want a return, you know, and the higher yield, the higher return, the more likely they are to invest. Right. Um, and I, I think, you know, when you get people who are engaged investors, meaning that they're not just going to show up that one time or do the bare minimum, they're going to, they're going to kind of add a little bit more. They're willing to, to double down on their, their money or their time or their efforts. Um, I, I just kind of think, you know, like what you said, they, they, they want a voice. They are going to have their voice regardless, right? So we either create a space for that voice to be heard or they're going to carve one out for themselves. And when they do that, that's when it's on a message board. That's when it's on Facebook. That's when it's in the stands. That's when it's in the car ride home. That's when it's behind our backs, because it's not like they're not going to have their voice or say what they need to say. And I think a lot of coaches are afraid of opening up the space for that voice to happen. But what we've got to get over and understand is that it's going to happen regardless. And if we would welcome it in and, and create some more of that, not only would we find ourselves, um, you know, probably being pleasantly surprised with some of the things that, um, that we, you know, that we hear. Um, but I think we would also find that our engaged investors are willing to fight for us more. They're willing to fight for the team more. You know, that, that questionable decision, um, you know, taking my kid out in a close game, all of the things that, you know, the darts that are typically being thrown at you, those are less, not going to say that they don't happen, right? There's no such thing as, as getting rid of all of this. But we're probably a lot less likely to hear those things um, from people who are more engaged and invested in what, in what we do. Um, and, and a lot of this is through the lens of, of parents. But again, this is not just parents. And I think about, you know, being in Division One athletics, it, I was blown away by what it takes to produce a football game, to produce a, a home basketball game, soccer match, a volleyball match, whatever, run a track meet. It takes so many people who are all required in doing their job and doing it well in order to put on a really great production. And you're more likely to get a great job out of everybody if those are engaged investors. 
if they're if they're motive engagement and motivation tied to performance. Well, the SID has to perform, the video producer has to perform, the shot clock operator has to perform, your stat crew has to perform, your marketing people have to perform, your ticket people have to perform, your food people have to perform. You know, if the popcorn machine is not is not not full, you know, when, when people show up, they're upset. If the card readers at the gates don't work, they're upset. Mm-hmm. All of those things have to happen. And so it's not just a, I, I think it's going to be very easy to look at this through a lens of parents, because that's where we get a lot of our, our flack and our feedback from. Um, but just try to keep in mind that there are so many other people and things that, that have to work. And then everybody has so much asked of them that typically whatever that job description is, there's always that last, you know, section F point A Roman numeral three dot I, I, I other duties as assigned. You're more likely to get um, those other duties as assigned people following through with those things, the more engaged and more invested that those people are. And I think about that in terms of even like an athletic department as a whole, right? I think coaches, and the athletes tend to get sort of the glory or, you know, I, we had a, a solar panel installer come to the house, like, I don't know, a few months ago. And I was like, yeah, I coach college basketball for a living. He's like, that's the coolest job ever. And I'm like, man, I actually think your job is super cool. Right. And he's like, well, you get to stand out there on the court and like direct people around and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's the outward image that people think of. But in reality, it's exactly what you just said. Like everybody has a role to play. And I think, you know, Kyle, you and I talk about this a lot, even in in one of our um, cohort group chats about just what it means to go and like speak when somebody passes you in the hallway or when you are like out and about and you just see somebody wearing the same stuff as you like being able to make that next connection leads to that engaged investment because people are going to remember how you made them feel. People are going to remember, Hey, that, that coach, he's, he was kind of a jerk. And I don't think I want to go support that program as opposed to man, that coach is out everywhere. I see that coach out all the time. Like he's always talking to people. He's always, you know, giving a fist bump here and there. Like, you know, it's super cool. Like he was riding around in a golf cart and and gave me a t-shirt. I'm going to remember that forever. I may not go to the game because I just don't have the wherewithal to do that on a Friday night, but I'm going to remember that that happened. Right. And so when we're able to do that, it doesn't mean we have to have a sit down meeting where every single person sets standards of what it means to be a part of our program, but we make people feel like they're a part of that program, thus giving them some equity, almost like benevolently into the inner workings of the program. So for example, at a practice, when your AD walks in, do you stop practice and have your team go over and say hello to the AD? Or do you just continue on and like sort of look over at the corner of your eye or maybe wave or something like that? Right? I think there's a big difference. And that provides that equity to the, who, who should really be the major stakeholder because they're the one in charge of it all, but at least recognizing their humanity and saying like, hey, we're gonna do the right thing. We'll, we can stop whatever drill we're doing so everybody can go over there and just say hello and thank you for the opportunity to play in such a nice facility or whatever it is, right? Because that person is trying to make sure everybody has what they need and very rarely does anybody check on the boss. And I think that's a, another big piece of this is like, 
yeah, you are going to see less of those issues pop up when people have that equity. And all of a sudden, people do check on the boss. They do check on you when you're in the midst of that losing streak. That parent email is, hey, I'm thinking about you. And I'm speaking from personal experience. Like my team lost 10 straight games in January, my first year as a head coach. It's a miserable January for anybody. January sucks nationwide. But to lose 10 straight games and it be January, that's hard. And we had parents emailing saying like, hey, I'm just checking on you. Right. Think about the difference between that versus when you haven't gotten that engaged investment, what those emails are like in January. And so I think it's, it's a big piece of everybody being in it together and that equity knowing like, hey, I've got something to be a part of in this program and I care about what happens to the people in this program. Yeah. And you mentioned nobody checks on the boss, you know, going top all the way down. So thank you for creating this, this opportunity to play in this really great facility. And again, thinking of all the other stakeholders responsible for that, the people that take care of that facility, your custodians, your janitors, your lunchroom ladies, you know, one of the first things I did every year was, all right, how many lunch ladies do I have? How many custodians do I have? Those are the first t-shirts I'm going to buy. And that's who gets, you know, that's who's going to get the first stuff, whatever, whoever gets anything, that's who gets it because you can't survive without that group. And, and you certainly can't thrive without them. Like they are very much a necessary part of your success. And the more engaged investment you're getting from top of the AD all the way down, I say down or bottom, like they're down at the bottom, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, the more likely we are to have that, that holistic experience at this particular point. Um, and I think a, a, a big part of that is not viewing it so much top down, but more in, as this sort of circular piece of pie where we all have our, our particular piece of pie that we're responsible for. And, you know, the, the first vision roadblock that we talked about was the next connection. Well, if we're not making the next connection, then naturally we don't get to this engaged investment. And so, you know, when we talk about these six roadblocks, again, they're, they're not siloed, they're not mutually exclusive. All of these things overlap and are adjacent to one another and they're, they're tied together. But it's worth talking about, um, you know, in, in, in these particular terms, that we, we talk about language being important. The words engaged investment, if you were to sort of give a, a score to the people in, in and around your program, how, you know, on a scale of one to 10 or however you want to do it, how engaged are they in their investment in this program? And the guy that you gave the t-shirt the to on the golf cart that might not come to your game, whatever, that's still a connection with that person. And they're more likely to maybe like and retweet something, share a score on Facebook. When somebody hammers you on Facebook, they drop in or when they're at the grocery store Walmart or whatever, or the gas station, and they start talking about the, the, you know, the season that we're having. And well, I saw that we've lost two in a row and there was a really questionable decision on this call or that call, that person's going to be more likely to be like, yo, but that guy's awesome. That coach is great. He, you know, he, he took time out of his day to talk to me. I know he's really busy. It's really cool to get five minutes of FaceTime with somebody that's got all that going on. So they must really care about, you know, me or my, my viewpoint on their program or whatever. Um, you know, players writing cards, notes, you know, to the community or somebody that comes by practice to thank them. Um, all of these things are, are recruitment pieces. That's, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's human component based. 
Um, and it's, it's the, it's the recruiting hearts and minds relationships, the next connection, that is what is creating this engaged investment. And again, it's not to say that you can't win games and be quote unquote successful without doing all of these things, but the unfinished business and the entropy of the day is eventually going to catch up with you and it's going to bite you. Um, we can only survive without those things maybe for so long. And, and obviously, you know, the more talent you have or the more watered down your schedule is and the luckier you are and the, the more unlucky your opponents are, you're going to get away with it probably for a little bit longer than you deserve. But eventually that stuff is going to come back to, to bite you. Um, and, and I just, again, speaking from experience, when you have taken the time to sort of put people in your corner, they will rally behind you and they will stick up for you and they will, you know, sort of squash that, that row in the bleachers that's constantly hammering you. That row in the bleachers becomes one of the loneliest places in the gym because people separate themselves from those folks and they kind of let them die on the vine over there, or they'll go over there and actively snuff out that, that fire that, that is potentially happening. Um, and again, it's, it's not 100%. We talk about stacking the deck all the time. The idea is if you had to randomly draw, you know, one card out of a, out of a, a deck of 52 cards in order to win the day, to win the job, to win the moment, you have to draw an ACE. If you've only got four aces in your deck, those odds are not in favor of you. We want to stack the deck with as many aces as possible, but we have to understand that there's never going to be such thing as 52 aces in a deck. You know, the best we really can get to is that 51 out of 52 because nothing is, nothing is certain. NBA players miss dunks. Professional kickers miss extra points. Like the easiest thing that they could do players dribble the ball off their foot. Like there's, there's nothing certain or guaranteed. There's all, always going to be somebody that, you know, feels like they've got to say something. The idea is to eliminate as much of that as possible and not just eliminate the bad, but actively grow the good. And if we're adding those aces in our deck and, and stacking the deck in our favor, again, we might draw the one card that's not in our favor. But if we had to draw 10 times, we're going to like our chances, you know, the further we go down in our season and the more decisions that we have to make and the more connections and touch points that we have to make, the odds are going to be in our favor more often than not. So I want to tell a story because I think you brought this up about that lonely row in the bleachers. Mm. And this is where I think a lot of the impetus for this conversation came from several years ago when we started talking about this stuff and we hadn't really formalized it into what it is now. And I remember it was my, my one season that I was at South County high school in Virginia. And, you know, we're in a, a really, really tough like playoff game in our conference tournament. And I remember at halftime, I think we were down like, I don't know, eight, 10, something like that. And I remember a parent recounting this to me after the game. And this is when I knew that what we had done worked, regardless of whether we won a state title or not. This was sort of one of those state title moments where this mom, who had been friends with another mom, heard that other mom, so like mom B, talking crap about me, about our coaching staff, about what we were doing. Her kid wasn't playing very well. I think she had a couple fouls in the first half, whatever it was. And that mom walked over and said, hey, that's not what we do here. And I'm not going to sit with you anymore. I'm going to go sit over there with the other parents because they do it the right way because we went to the retreat and you didn't. 
And I remember her calling me after the game. And, and at that point we had lost the game. And I was like, Oh my God, she's like, somebody's violating the 24 hour rule. What happened? Like I thought this kid, you know, this mom's kid played great. And she was like, coach, I know we have a 24 hour rule, but I just need to tell you, this is what happened today. And I had your back. So don't worry about it. And it was at that moment. I was like, that's pretty cool. Like, thanks for violating the 24 hour rule for that, because I really appreciate that. And that is sort of the power of recruiting. And I think, you know, high school coaches might say, well, I don't recruit. I can't recruit players, right? Well, you can recruit your community and you can recruit all those parents. You can recruit all of those people in your building so that when new players come into your program, they already know what this is about. They've been itching to get into your program because you've been recruiting them since the time they were a little kid. Right. And that was something that we did at every stop I've ever been at. When we had a camp, we took a day before the, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we wouldn't practice. We would have what was called teams giving. And this goes to that recruiting piece. I would give, you know, three or four of our campers to each one of our kids from the freshman team on up to the varsity team. And they would write a little like a handwritten note to that kid, put a game schedule in there and say, hey, I can't wait to see you at the game. And I remember the first year we did it, my kids were like, what? This is ridiculous. We should be practicing. I said, just wait. Just wait and see what happens next summer and see what happens at these games that are coming up. And they were like, okay, we'll see. Wouldn't you know it, one or two kids started showing up to our games because they got the game schedule. One or two kids wrote back. And then the next summer, our camp enrollment went up. And so we did it again and again and again and again. And all of a sudden, my players are requesting kids to write to because they remember them from camp. And you think about that from the, like the standpoint of being in third or fourth grade and you're getting a handwritten note from a senior in high school that you're looking up to, like, I want to be like you one day, right? So now let's extrapolate that up to the college level, right? We have the levels conversation. How are we recruiting our campus the same way? Do the people across campus know that we even exist? right? For you in division one, yeah, like everybody knows that division one athletics exists, but do we know the players? Do we know the staff from across campus? How we made those connections so that when we're having that really, really important recruit walking around campus, all of a sudden, every single person is saying, hey, what's up, what's up, Coach Cav? Right? Oh, hey, let me get in that picture. And all of a sudden that recruit feels like they're at home because we've recruited yep. everybody else to have that engaged investment and be recognizable for doing the right thing. And we're starting to change those hearts and minds and putting a feeling to that relationship that creates the feeling of having equity in somebody's experience. And I think that's a really powerful thing that maybe we don't take advantage of enough. Um, I mean, it kind of depends on where you are, but as a high school coach, you can do the same thing. As a college coach, you can do the same thing. Really what we're talking about is building a community that feels like they have ownership over their experience with your program. And that's a really, really powerful thing. I mean, that's how you stay in places and that's how you get some of that benefit of the doubt of like, hey, you know what? They are doing a really, really good job. The community understands what they're trying to do because they've gone out and made that community part of their community. Bobby Wilder at Old Dominion, the football, the first football coach in the history of Old Dominion, when we started up the program back in 2009, he was tremendous at this. 
I mean, absolutely tremendous at walking around campus, building relationships with kids. People wanted a piece of him. I mean, he was busy year round. Everybody wants a piece of you when you're the coach. Everybody wants a piece of you when you're the star player. And if you can give them a little of that bit of that piece of you or a piece of that program, that's the equity they're looking for because they're going to hold on to that forever. And then when it comes time, like, hey, we need a favor from the, the student body. Hey, we need to do this. We need to do it. People are on board. And your recruits will see that. The kids on your team will see that. All of a sudden, we've recruited the entire campus to the standard that we want to be at. And we've raised everybody's level. I think that's like the transformative power of making that next connection, but also with the intent to give away some of that ownership, to give away some of that engaged investment. Yeah, but the the word you just used is experience. And we've talked before about how like connections and recruiting don't just need to be like an event or something that's happening. We want it to be an experience. It's not you just player a, acquisition, right? It was, we're right. not just trying to go get the next best player. Yeah. You, you bring a recruit in, you take them to dinner, you wine and dine them, you go to a photo shoot, you do the you know run of the mill kind of stuff. And it's just sort of this car wash, we're checking the box. But if they have an experience that, that, is, that is tangible, palpable, like they can feel it. And like you said, it feels like they're home. That's what you're hoping is that people feel like they are home. And if you, you know, as, as a, as the head football coach of a division one university can walk around campus and people are, you're accessible enough and people are open enough to come up and talk to you and you're willing to talk to them and you make them feel like they're a part of it. They're going to want to be there on Saturday night. They're going to want to think about their plans and how they can get there. They're going to, if you're on the road, they're going to turn the game on they're going to jump into the live stream or they're going to follow you on social media and, and again, like, and retweet and, and all those things. And when it, when this is such a big production, like I've talked about before, it takes all of us in order to make sure that this is happening in concert and that we are aligned in all of these things. And if you've, you know, if you're sticking with us 42, 43 minutes, however long we've been into this, the, the one thing that can't happen in, in getting these people engaged and invested into what the vision is, is they've got to know, they have to know what the vision is, excuse me. They've got to understand what vision that you, that you're about and where you're following, and so that's where your your branding and your messaging and and things like that and what you're putting out there to your fans and your community, whether it be through social media or your streams or your you know your your schedule posters or how your players uh, you know address people and how they handle themselves in a restaurant on the road and how they get on and off the bus and how they act in a gym and all the things that, you know, these coach speaky type things that, that we talk about, this is where that stuff has to actually come to life because that's a part of who you are. That is your culture. That's how your culture gets to other people. Your, your climate is, 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 um, you know, it's, it's in action at that point. And that's how it's not just you putting that out there for the masses. It's how you draw the masses in to what you're doing. And people feel like they are a part of that. Like, why, why do professional sports teams, you know, or, or, or teams around the world have fans that will never be anywhere near or associated with what they're doing? It's because they're drawing you in and you feel like you are a part of that experience. That's why the best brands are the best brands. And your tiny little junior high soccer team might not be Nike or Amazon, or Coke, or Pepsi, or Apple, or any of those things, but it doesn't mean that you can't make it the Apple of your community. 
the, the Walmart of that community, making the big time where you are. You can you can market and brand yourself, your program. And I'm not, when I say that, I, I, I want to kind of put a little bit of a disclaimer on here. I'm not talking about like head coaches who have the most Instagram followers and are great at giving motivational speeches and practice. And that's why people follow them. That's, that's not kind of what I'm going for here. Um, because there are coaches out there who are really great at that and can kind of suck people in in the short time. This is bigger picture. This is more long, long-term, long time. And I mean, a really great example of this just from us was, I, I don't know how many of you are following college football right now, um, but you know, we went and played at Clemson and there was the whole Ella Strong movement and, and Coach Cumby, you know, one of our, one of our players, um, sisters, uh, I think passed away from, from a, a similar situation and wanted to reach out, you know, to the, the, the family and every one of our football players ended up writing a letter to that family and to that program. And there's, there was some really great, you know, moments that came out of that between um, Dabo and coach Cumby and, and, you know, they talked about it on game day and all those kinds of things. And, and you're not doing that for that sort of pub and attention, but sometimes that's a byproduct of doing the right thing of putting that out there. And there were a lot of people uh, from the Clemson community who felt like they were then in, you know, an engaged investor into what we were doing as a program. And then we as a program felt like we were more engaged in what they were doing. And it created this connection. And now there's going to be this lifelong bond between some of the people in these two programs that otherwise never would have happened. And all it takes is somebody sort of putting themselves out there and being willing to do that, being willing to make the next connection putting them, having an idea and then following through with it. And it makes you wonder like how many ideas have been out there throughout the country this year and all these little pockets that were ideas that didn't actually happen. And you don't know what might happen or what movement might be created based on just simply following through with something like that. And I think if that, if anything like that right there, it can become a little bit of a, a an encourager or a motivator for people out there to make that next connection, because no, you're not doing it for those transactionable reasons, but you don't get that without trying. You don't get that without, you know, sort of having the courage to put yourself out there in the first place. I think to, as we, as we wrap up, you know, it brings to mind the idea that, you know, we always talk about this where it's like coaches say stuff to get jobs and they don't actually do it. Um, this idea of being like, the best we can be on the court classroom and community. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the first thing to go is that community piece. Yep. Right. When we're in the season and, and like, we're not going to do community service unless we're in the off season and stuff like that. I mean, like, listen, one day of practice is not going to kill you. It's not going to kill your team to schedule around serving your community and building that community because this because we decide to not do it, that invites in that entropy. And that's where this roadblock comes from. The lack of engaged investment, because we have not done enough to bring our community such that it is, whether it's just your parents, whether it's your local community, or in the, the situation you described, an opponent, you know, like from halfway across the country, we have not done enough to bring those people into what we want to do. 
and to create that engaged investment where people care to not let the standard slip and people care not to let the people in the program down. And ultimately they care enough about the vision to allow it to come to fruition instead of rushing off to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing in search of something that was there the entire time that just wasn't prioritized. And so I think, you know, as we leave you today, the challenge really is to be able to make that next connection with who needs to be connected with and to start recruiting your community and, and sort of recruiting those hearts and minds through the human component wheel to create that engaged investment in what we're trying to do. And I, I, I will guarantee you, I don't often drop the G word, but I will guarantee you it will pay dividends in your program. It might not be right now, but in the future, you will feel those dividends come back to you a hundredfold. And I think Kyle, and I'll throw it to you to end us and sort of end on this question maybe, but in my mind, I think the price of not doing it is higher than the price of taking the time to do it. Do you agree with that? 100%. And for for those, like you just said, like some of these things are kind of daunting, like, oh, we can't be a a Clemson or an Apple, or there's just, you know, our fans don't come. We've got all these excuses and all these things that are going against us. This is why we talk so much about climate over culture, because all of these things, you're comparing yourselves to the, the team across town. They've got it so easy. You know, they've got 80 years of rich tradition that they can fall back on. So even if they don't, even if they work half as hard, they get twice as far. You know, we have to do all that. That's why we talk about this climate piece, because all it takes is that one decision, that one act, that one piece of courage, that next connection that might be the momentum that continues these things down the road from us. And you, you just mentioned it. It's, it's about the return on that investment. So the more you're willing to put in, the more you're going to likely get back. But it's also not, it's okay if you're not getting it all right now. Because when you put money into that stock portfolio or that IRA, or you're we're putting money away for Kendall's college tuition, well, that's 12 years down the road. And I know it'll you know get here faster than we think and all that kind of stuff. But we're not putting you know that that ten dollars in today, expecting it to be a hundred tomorrow. We're putting in that ten because what we might get out of that ten in 12 years is certainly more than putting in zero today. And I think that's the part that that is the most important piece. And that's what we want to leave people with is it will cost you more in the long run to not do these things because that one roadblock won't just be one roadblock. They will continue to pile and the, that, that entropy does not stop. And so if we could encourage you or motivate you or get you to reflect on anything today is Think about what that vision is. Have you defined it? Have you explained it? You know, ha have you sort of gone through those necessary things? Where are we finding these issues? And then be able to think, okay, who are my biggest investors? How can I lean into who those particular stakeholders might be? And then where can we go to sort of get our biggest return on, on that particular investment? And um, again, I, I think, the as you put it, beautifully just a few minutes ago the price of not doing it is more detrimental than the price of what it takes today to take the time out to actually go make it happen <laughs>